Welcome everyone to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank all my listeners for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are executive producers, Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, and Ms. Aida, psychic and author of Hoodoo Cleansing Protection Magic, Damien Keller, binaural production engineer, author of Sounds Good, Sounds Great, and monthly co-host Jared Murphy, author of It's Not Aliens, It's Worse, It's Us. If you are interested in contributing to this podcast, go to everythingimaginable2020.com and you'll find everything there. And now, our guest for today is Rob Shelsky. And uh, I have to, it's great to have you back here. Um, you were on on the early days of my podcast when I was sort of just a unknown podcaster, and I'm really grateful for everything that uh, you've done to help this podcast be successful and being on back in those early days. Well, I imagine it's uh, been quite a road. It has. You, uh, you enjoying the trip? <laughs> <laughs> a long, strange trip it's been. <laughs> I'm the same thing. <laughs> I guess with the topics you have on your show, it is pretty strange at that. So, uh, and this one tonight, it's not going to be any easier, I'm afraid, <laughs> as far as strangeness goes. Uh, this is but, um, this might be a light topic because we're going to be talking about your new book, right? Yes, we are. And if you want me to repeat the name of it, it won't be easy because even I have trouble remembering the name. It's uh, Quantum Immortality, the Hypersoul, and Afterlife. And the book is based on the idea that there is now getting to be scientific evidence for the idea that the human consciousness might survive death and or may not be what's known as a local phenomenon. But um, before we get started, I think we have to decide on two things. What is immortality and uh, what is consciousness? And because they make a, a big impact, because did you know there are more than there is more than one type of immortality? I didn't know. Yeah, the, I, we all think of immortality as, oh, we get to live forever, right? right? Well, we may get to live forever, but one doesn't always necessarily remember or even know that one is living forever. That's what came out in my book from all this uh, information I've been researching. And um, it's, it's quite interesting, quite strange. So how would you like to begin? So, so that's one type of immortality. What is, are the other types? Well, the one type of immortality is the one that we all like. Again, is the one where uh, our own life just goes on forever. Mm -hmm. There are other immortality types where, uh, which are based on um, different theories in science, and these include um, the Big Bang Theory, string theory, and the idea that the universe is infinite, as well as the idea that there is such a thing as possible as quantum immortality as well. And um, it's... It's a bit tricky uh, how, how one proceeds. First of all, you, they, these are all about the consciousness. Uh, I'm not talking about the soul, although I'm not so sure the soul and the consciousness aren't the same thing. Um, one of the things to, to know is that a lot of researchers now think the universe may be conscious, that rocks and trees and everything might actually have a form of consciousness. Now, it's not the kind of consciousness that we have. 
it is not self-aware. We can reflect on something, and then we are aware that we are reflecting. We can reflect about reflecting on something. That's our consciousness. If someone kicks a rock, he can't do anything about it. However, if someone kicks us, we can respond. That's the two different types of consciousness that they're talking about. Mm -hmm. And um, so although everything may be conscious, um, it may not be conscious or self-aware in the way that we are. So taking it from there, uh, you have to then decide what it is that goes on after after you die. And uh, one idea is that it might just be that you exist somewhere else, identically you, for every thought you need. <clears throat> Excuse me, I'm having a frog in my throat tonight. And uh, if the, for instance, if the universe were infinite, and a lot of scientists think it might well be infinite, then there are only so many types of particles. Think of subatomic particles like Lego blocks. Mm -hmm. You can put them together in all sorts of different ways, almost an infinite number of ways, but it's not infinite. A very large number, but it does end up where you start repeating shapes and sizes because you can't, you know, there's only so many different things you can do with Lego blocks. Same thing with subatomic particles. So if the universe is infinite, then sooner or later, those subatomic particles have to rearrange themselves in exactly the same way they were once before, and again and again, and even variations on that. This is sort of a parallel world idea where if you go far enough out in space, incredibly far perhaps, you come across another sun, another Earth with people on it, and you too included. It may be the exact you, and there will also be variations of you depending on how far you can travel. Remember, if the universe is infinite and uh, eternal, then this has to be. The laws of probability are inviolate, and that means that it has to happen. Although some of the other U's might not occur until millions or billions of years uh, out there in space somewhere, and some may have occurred already billions and billions of years ago before the section of our universe was actually formed. So you may be immortal in the sense that you are somewhere all the time forever. You're not aware of this fact, but it would be so if the universe is infinite. That's one idea of immortality. Shall we go on? <laughs> yeah, man, that's, that's, that's kind of cool. Like I've never really thought of that. You know, the idea of, of, the, of everything just sort of hitting a certain point, and then it has to repeat again. So that automatically yeah, there would be another me somewhere. It's kind of cool. Yeah, there, there was Lego block. If yeah. the universe is infinite, and, and a lot of scientists think it is infinite. And uh, if not, it's very close to it. And therefore, um, things have to repeat because you only have so many particles and there's only so many ways they can come together. And given enough time and enough probabilities, it has to happen. Uh, by the way, the same holds true for a lot of things with probability. For instance, you can't push your hand through a wall without breaking your bones. But if you tried it over and over, if you had enough time and did it enough times, sooner or later, according to quantum physics, your hand will pass through that wall, because there's a very small chance it might, but the chance is not zero. And so according to quantum physics, if the chance is not zero, then sooner or later it will occur. So the quantum world is a very strange, strange world indeed, and it's completely changing everything we know. Oh, and by the way, the quantum uh, physics is the most tested theory in science to date. And I'm not just talking the last 10 years, I'm talking ever since they first theorized it. Every test they've devised, it's held up for. Wow. That's pretty impressive, too. It is. Uh, now, uh, the second thing we need to talk about is how consciousness arises. Where does it come from? And 
the idealist view of consciousness, which a lot of people do have, is that it's a separate entity in itself. It's not dependent on the brain, that it is um, separate from the brain, but it uses the brain. And this is intriguing because it views the mind rather like a radio wave. And you, your brain is the receiver, and it's receiving the thoughts and acting on them. But the radio is not the program that's being broadcast. It's merely the receiver of the program that allows it to play. So if you damage the brain, I mean, uh, the receiver, you don't get the radio show, but it doesn't mean the radio show isn't there. It's still on in the radio waves being broadcast everywhere. And yes. the human mind might be like that, too. It might be that consciousness um, comes through us in the brain as a receiver. And if that receiver is damaged, the brain then the reason we can't talk to people who might have a, be in a vegetative state or badly damaged in a car accident isn't because their consciousness doesn't exist. It's because we can't connect with it. We can't communicate with it. The receiver is damaged. That's a nice idea. I mean, I rather like that idea. So and, that means uh, that it's like a non-local mind. Yes, exactly. And that's a, that's a good way to put it, non-local. I was going to come to that later. <laughs> Uh, but now, if you think of the movie The Matrix, have you seen it? I'm sure you must yes. have. Yep. Okay. Well, remember in that movie, everything was fake. All matter was fake. Everything was fake. The only thing that wasn't fake was the human consciousness. It was real. It's but its surroundings, everything it touched, smelled, tasted, and felt, everything was fake. But the human consciousness was real. And that's kind of how you have to think of the idealist point of view of consciousness. Uh, then there is the um, other type of uh, research group that thinks consciousness strictly arises from the brain, that it is a product of the brain, and that it may even be an illusion of the brain that we think we're conscious when that's just like a computer thinking it's conscious because it's calculating. Um, I do have some problems with this one, because it if the brain, a mind is just an illusion, and if it's nothing to it, if it's no substance, it According to them, it doesn't have it. And in fact, I don't think anyone thinks our mind has substance, that it's solid in any way. The brain is, but not the mind. But if the mind is strictly um, a byproduct of the brain, then you have to ask yourself, why can the mind exercise control over matter like the brain itself? The mind can rewire the brain. It can rewire it to do perform certain things, to do certain things. If it's damaged, the brain is damaged. The mind can function to get around that damage. That's with someone who has a stroke. They can go through ther therapy and be rehabilitated. Something else as well, some people have stigmata. Are you familiar with that? Yeah, yeah. That's like the, the wounds of Jesus appearing. Exactly. Well, these wounds appear on people, and they have been pretty well documented. Some of them are real, some of them aren't. But most of them aren't hoaxes. These people really have stigmata. Now, these are open wounds that bleed, and the, the bl blood has been said to smell like perfume, and it never seems to affect their health. And this is intriguing as well, but here's the thing. If the consciousness is just an immaterial thing, has no substance at all, is strictly uh, an illusion of the brain, then how can it create stigmata in people? Because it's been pretty well confirmed that it must be the mind that's causing this. Because these stigmata can be in the wrong place. They can appear on the palms of the hands, like the wounds of Christ being nailed. Although we now know for a fact that Christ 
wasn't nailed to his hands, but rather his wrist. If they had put the nails to his hands, the bones would have separated and he would have fallen off the cross or at least fallen forward. So the Romans used to nail their victims through the wrists where the bones were thicker. So we know that when they had stigmata in the palms of their hands, it's the wrong place. So it probably wasn't God doing it. And it was the person themselves somehow uh, initiating this change in their physical body through the power of their mind. And And that's intriguing because it means that the mind can actually have a great deal of power over its physical environment, even though it's non-physical itself. And this is what's really incredible about consciousness, and it stumps scientists to this day. They can't quite figure out how that's possible. Now, the third type is that the brain and mind are kind of a combination effect. The brain originally produced the mind, and then the mind sort of is an entity somewhat to itself so that it can do these things like stigmata. And that's kind of what I would probably go with, but uh, and in which case the uh, brain functions, but the mind functions, if not separately, then pretty much as an individual on its own within the brain. And that's fine. So any one of these uh, theories of consciousness kind of work, but the last one probably for me is the most rational one. But um, I'm not sure our, our thoughts are being broadcast from somewhere else and the brain is just a receiver. I think the brain initiated the mind, but the mind then becomes an entity mm-hmm. in its own right. So I have a question. Now, I have a question about the receiver one. If the brain is a receiver, and consciousness is you know the information that's receiving, where is the transmitter? Well, the transmitter would be your consciousness. It just wouldn't be localized in your body. So, so it's like it almost would, like a, a feedback loop. Yes. Okay. Pretty much. It's as if someone were talking to you over a walkie-talkie, and you're hearing their voice, and you're thinking the walkie-talkie is the one thing that's talking to you, but it's not. It's the person on the other end who's not in the walkie-talkie, but just merely transmitting to you, which is an interesting idea, but it it kind of makes it hard to then say, well, where does consciousness originate? If it's not from the brain, then where does it come from? And they think it's, it's separate to the body. And will outlive the body. Uh, Descartes, the famous philosopher, thought this. He felt that he was an idealist. And uh, the final type is the is the type where the consciousness is both. And <clears throat> but I don't agree with them that say it's strictly a product of the brain, because now we're getting into a different thing entirely. They have done studies that show that the human mind apparently does not exist at any one point in time completely. It exists in the past, it exists in the present, and it exists partially in the future. For the average person, that's anywhere from 2 to 10 seconds. Now, this sounds unbelievable, I know. But study after study, using the same experiments at different universities, including Stanford and others, have all shown that when people are put in a room and shown a series of random photos, most of them beautiful and lovely, every now and then a random horrible picture will appear. And even the researchers don't know when it will appear. It's strictly random. Just before it appears, the people who are uh, wired to a galvanic skin response meters respond before it appears. Their body reacts to the picture that isn't there yet. Now, this depends on the person involved, but on average, it's from two seconds to 10 seconds. And they think so the average for the they then say the average for humans is about five seconds, uh, five seconds to maybe seven seconds. We can actually feel the future coming to us, especially if it's unpleasant. 
And this is the, this is the crux of the matter. It's in relationship to the idea that it's something unpleasant. So scientists think this might be an evolutionary advantage that if our ancestors, you know, were being attacked by a lion and they could uh, sense that it was about to attack them, that it would give them a chance to survive. So it was a survival capability we developed. But how the human mind can do this is the thing that they have no idea. Also, the human mind lives partly in the past. Everything you see, for instance, and also feel, touch, and taste, you're not experiencing it in the moment. It happened already. You're experiencing it after the fact. And that is the uh, weird part of it. Is, for instance, say you're batting a ball, and there's some pitcher throwing you a fastball 90 miles an hour. Your eye's tracking that ball, but there is a delay. And that delay is slight. It's very small, but noticeable. And yet you somehow manage to hit that ball, even though you're hitting the ball where it should be, rather than where you actually see it at that instant. Now, this may not sound like a big deal, but think about if you're racing a car at 200, maybe even up to 300 miles an hour or something. Your reaction time, your car will have traveled tens and tens of feet in the time for the light to have hit your eye, traveled up the optic nerve, gone to your brain, and been reassembled into a visual image. And <clears throat> this is um, intriguing because you somehow, your brain compensates it somehow seems to know where that ball is going to be, even though it doesn't see it there when, the, when you swing or when you're, that curve coming up when you're racing your car. You're, you're seeing that curve with a slight delay. So whatever you're seeing is slightly in the past, but your mind's compensating and adjusting for the present. And, of course, the mind also exists in the present, the now. Uh, music is a good example. Um, most animals, they theorize, can't know music. And the reason they can't know music is because music is a product of time. You hear one note in the past, you are hearing a note now, and your mind is anticipating the next note, and that's what allows you to understand a melody. Without time, that would be impossible. So it's all pretty intriguing. But now, how can the mind do this? How can it behave in this fashion? And also, they have done... Uh, Am I carrying on too long? You, which no, I no, it's question? fascinating. Keep going. Okay. Uh, another thing about the mind is it seems to be non-local in nature in the sense that they have done studies, especially the CIA, on um, remote viewing, far-distance viewing, where they put someone in a room, paper to pen, and they ask them to try to visualize, and they just give them coordinates. And they had some really impressive results from this uh, that beat statistics. And they don't know how this is possible, but the person can see not only at a distance something that they shouldn't be able to see. They were using it to have people try to see things in Russia. They'd give coordinates of some place in Russia during the Cold War, and they'd ask them to see what they see there. And the people would draw what they saw. And one was a um, like a, a dock crane facility on wheels, and they drew it amazingly well. These are very controlled experiments. Now, they can't account for how this is possible unless the mind is um, – it can't be telepathy because they're not seeing it through someone else's eyes. They're not in contact with someone else's mind, apparently. So it has to be something else entirely, and it must be a non-local nature. And from there, we now have an idea of what the human mind is and consciousness, sort of. No one knows for sure. But then now we can move on to the idea – that consciousness might be quantum in nature. Recently, in the last few years, uh, neurosurgeons discovered microtubules in the human brain. 
These are incredibly small. small. That's why they call them micro. Mm-hmm. And they seem to function on a quantum level. And when people die, there is residual electricity left in the brain. And it seems to be draining out through these microtubules into the quantum realm. And one neurosurgeon theorized that it was the human consciousness leaving the body to go back into the universe. Where exactly, under what conditions, we don't know, of course. But um, this is what he uh, theorized. And, and what researchers do know, the microtubules exist. They do know they seem to function on a quantum level. Uh, and therefore, a lot of researchers are now thinking the human might be a quantum um, thing, a quantum function. And if so, on the quantum level, time means nothing. You can have an effect uh, before the cause. Uh, you can be in two places at once. It's called superposition. And if that's the case, and the human mind is quantum in nature, then it is not bound to the body. It may have come into existence through the human brain, but once in existence, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's um, contained by the brain forever after that point. So this is interesting because in that case, you uh, your consciousness could go on forever. That's another form of immortality, and there are more if you're still interested. Yes, yes. Well, first of all, the microtubules. I have a guest that's on quite often. His name is Dr. Richard Allen Miller, and he has actually he's written quite a few papers. He's a physicist on those microtubules. It's pretty interesting. Did he have anything of interest that you uh, that you found intriguing? Um, actually, he's coming on probably in a week or so to, to specifically talk about it. some of it's a little bit over my head, honestly, you know, when he starts getting into the math part of it. And, and uh, but you know, he, he, like I, the, the term non-local mind, actually he's the one who gave that to me because he has a book called non-local mind. And that's what it's about. It's about these microtubules releasing energy back into the universe. Well, when he's on the show, please flag me because I'd like to listen in. And, uh, and, and, and by the way, do remember that what I'm telling you are generalities. I, my, mm-hmm. my books are geared for the average person, not for other scientists. So um, I do make what might be referred to as glittering generalities. Right. But I like, I like your, get... your analogy about music, though, is the perfect now, perfect uh, analogy, you know, because you're right. We kind of we hear it. We, we we have a note in the past, a note in the present. We anticipate the next one. I've never thought of it that way. It's brilliant. No, it's, it is interesting, isn't it? This is what I love about science and research. You find out so much about things. And then, of course, you always end up dying before you get to know all the answers. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's just such a strange thing because we take it for granted. You know, yeah, we do. Like, like, like we just accept that that's yeah. normal. But we never really look at it as like how amazing that actually is just to, to, to be able to listen to music. And we shouldn't really be and able to. And it's strictly a function of the human mind because remember, at any given moment, only one note is sounding physically. It's the human mind that creates the melody out of it by connecting the notes. And I, I find that pretty incredible. The human mind is incredible to me. It really is. Yeah, it but, is. Um, oh, and... and now that we've discussed consciousness and the idea of uh, a quantum consciousness, the next thing is quantum immortality. Now, this is a little trickier, <laughs> but let me see if I can find a good analogy. <laughs> quantum immortality is based on the idea 
that in the quantum world, all everything is a probability wave. I don't know if you ever took science when you were in high school, but did they ever show you a picture of an atom, an image, you know, like a drawing to uh, yeah. an atom? Did you? Ever- yeah, yeah, like the like a very you know the very elementary version of an atom that he had, you know. Back in 1980. It's what we all have. <laughs> yeah, the elementary version is the nucleus yeah. and electrons spinning around it, you know, like for a mm-hmm. hydrogen atom. And um, so it looks like the sun with one planet circling it. And if there's, excuse me, more electrons and there are more planets basically circling this nucleus or sun. Yeah. That's not the way it is. If you go with the analogy of just um, a hydrogen atom with the one electron, um, I'm sorry, proton then you, uh, uh, what you see is um, not a something circling the nucleus, but what you see is a fuzzy sphere. It, the sphere is, envelops the nucleus, and it's fuzzy because, again, that particle is non-local. Uh, it's anywhere and everywhere. It is a probability wave manifesting itself as a wave. It's only when we humans observe it, when a consciousness observes it, that it collapses into a particle. So this is uh, uh, very intriguing. But, and of course, we're all made up, everything in the universe is made up of subatomic particles. So basically, we are all nothing but um, quantum particles. And that's intriguing because then it means, uh, well, what's happening to us? Well, what it means is, is that the universe may be probability waves. It's like the idea where you throw a, a message in a bottle into the ocean in Australia, and instead of it just floating across the water and hitting shore somewhere else, it turns into a wave. It fans out in every direction and continues fanning out until it hits some piece of land somewhere first. And wherever that wave hits first, boom, then it's a, a bottle with a message in it back on the shore. But until And then the rest of the wave disappears wherever else it might have been fanning out to. This is a fairly decent description of how quantum particles work. So if we are made of all that and everything else, the sun and stars are, then we are made up of probability waves that basically manifest in their most likely form. For instance, scientists say that there's there's almost no probability, but there's a little, that you, in the next instant, you could suddenly appear in deep space somewhere between the stars. It's a very low probability, but it's not zero. So theoretically, you could. And we do have a record of people disappearing in front of other people's eyes throughout history, never to be seen again. So is it happening occasionally? It could be. So uh, it's um, that means that all reality around us may be a function of the consciousness. It may be a probability wave that is collapsing from moment a moment and that's what gives us the illusion of time that so, there really isn't time it's just a probability wave that keeps collapsing from one instant to the next and we see it as time passing so, and so based this, on that does idea this, does this mean that nothing is real that everything is just probabilities it, some researchers think that might be <laughs> exactly the case especially on the quantum level because uh, the, the many worlds theory which the Big Bang Theory of the Universe and String Theory rely on. They have to have it in order to work. Uh, So there's two main theories in science that are pretty well accepted. Uh, The Inflationary Theory of the Universe and uh, the Big Bang and also the uh, String Theory. 
Not to mention there's, an, there's others like M-brain theory, which also needed. Almost every um, major theory we have about the universe seems to need multiple universes. But they're saying that every time some researchers argue, and, there, and more and more beginning to believe this, that when, an, uh, like, let's say you choose to go left or right when you're driving. Yeah. Well, you make the decision to turn left. You are now in another reality that extends branches off to that point where you've gone to the left. But at that same instant that you made that decision to go left, another reality is created that to the, where you go off to the right. And there's probably another one where you go straight on and another one where you stop and another one where you back up. All probabilities have to manifest themselves in the quantum world. And if this is extended to our world, then that means many worlds and many yous. So this also means that there is a form of quantum suicide. If you take a gun and point it at your head, let's say you're playing Russian roulette, and you click the trigger, and there's a, uh, I'm sorry, let's not make a Russian roulette, just a regular gun with a regular bullet. Mm -hmm. You click the trigger to shoot yourself. Well, in this reality, you died. But the minute you did that, another reality was created where you didn't click the trigger, since all probabilities have to play out. That means that you went on living in another reality. And you, the same you that you are now, uh, sees no break in continuity of realities. For you, you just decided not to click the trigger. And the reason that you think that is because the other you has ceased to exist. So the only you that continues is the one that didn't pull the trigger. It's a bit hard to follow in a, in a way, but it's... Um, does that mean that, 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 that our actions are almost inconsequential because they're all happening, all the good and the bad are happening at the same time? Well, good and bad is an arbitrary uh, true, true. thing, a, a moral that we place on these things. Physics isn't concerned with good or bad. It's just concerned with probabilities and that they all have to play out, quantum physics at least. And uh, if that's so... I mean, that not all researchers believe that quantum physics works that way, but a lot of them do. If that is so, then that's how you would have quantum immortality, because every time you're about to breathe your last, and you do, immediately there's a, another universe that branches off where you didn't. You went on living. And you're not aware of having died. Now, in this universe where you did die, all your friends are around you, and they saw you breathe your last, and they're all grieving. But for you, you're still lying in that bed, still breathing. You, have, you don't see that happening because you're no longer in that reality. And um, <laughs> believe it or not, there's a lot of researchers who believe that this is the case. So quantum mortality is the idea that you can't commit suicide and you don't cease to be, that you go on being somewhere else. And now remember, not all universes are necessarily going to be aligned with ours. Some will be forming before us, some after us. That's another form of immortality. So that if means there's so many that, worlds, this means that Jim Morrison is still alive. In some reality, he is, yes. yes. It's not ours, but he thinks it's the same reality. Right. For him, there's no difference. In fact, I just read an article yesterday where we may be quantum jumping, basically, daily from moment to moment. Every time we make a decision... We are creating a reality where that decision goes into play, but there's immediately another reality where you didn't make that decision. So the universe is splitting into new universes all the time. And that's pretty incredible. That is. It, it makes everything... It doesn't mean you're inconsequential, though. 
not inconsequential, but it does make things a little bit more, I don't know, flexible. Oh, a lot more flexible. Now, the only problem with that idea is that um, you are unaware that you died maybe hundreds of times already. We both may have been. Think about the near misses you've had in accidents in your life that you didn't die in, that you uh, avoided the accident or didn't get hurt in the accident. There has to be a parallel branching universe where you did, and you did die. You don't remember those because that isn't the way you went. You went down the line where you stayed alive. Because if you didn't, you'd have ceased, and only the other you in the other universes uh, that formed would continue, and they would have the same sense of continuity. They, so that's how it kind of works, and uh, which is an intriguing idea, too. Then, of course, there's the idea of um, parallel worlds already existing because of the inflation theory and string theory, and that every possibility has to play out so there may be an infinite number of other universes with you in them where you are doing anything and everything. Now, the problem here is that we're not aware of of our immortality in that sense. Because remember, these other parallel universes, some may have formed long before ours did, so you may have already lived and died in them, and in other universes that formed later than ours, you won't live in them until maybe a billion years from now or a million years from now, our time. And there's even a parallel universe probably where time is running backwards with you in it. So it's, uh, again, we're not aware of these things. But uh, now Oprah Winfrey had the idea of a uh, super soul. She believed that, you know, there's the greater soul that, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I coined the term hyper soul because I wanted to go one step further. Mm-hmm. If you were to take all the consciousnesses that make up all these versions of you and put them together, you would have a hyper soul. Now, this may sound kind of nutty, but there are even um, uh, CDs you can buy or whatever you format you want where you can try to learn quantum jumping through self-hypnosis, where you can jump into other versions of you and learn things that you need to learn and want to know. Because if there's an infinite number of versions of you, then they all know everything. Some of them know this, some of them know that. So um, the idea of the hypersoul would be like a super consciousness, where all the yous that make up all the different yous are basically one consciousness that might be interconnected. And there's some evidence that this could be too, because if we're constantly splitting off into new universes every time we make a decision, uh, what happens to the other one of us? They're identical in every sense, same brainwave pattern, everything. So it's not inconceivable that this is the case. And by the way, on the conscious, uh, on the quantum conscious level, if the consciousness does exist separate from the body and can survive the death of the body, this might account for phenomena like ghosts. It might account for all sorts of things, even uh, telepathy, telekinesis, because your uh, mind is non-local. Remember, in quantum physics, particles are non-local. Mm-hmm. That means that they can uh, change to a twinned particle here on Earth, will automatically and instantaneously change its twinned particle, no matter where it is in the universe, even if it's 50 billion light years away. Now, this is amazing because it's instantaneous. Now, this seems to defy the laws of uh, physics, according to Einstein, that nothing can go faster than the speed of light. It should take 
something 50 billion years at the speed of light to, to change for the information you get from here to there. But it doesn't. It's instantaneous. And they've proven that pretty well now. So if the human mind is quantum in nature and non-local, that means you may exist here, there, and everywhere. You might even be able to cross over into parallel universes because, remember, it's non-substance. It's non-material. So that's an intriguing idea, too. So that completely drowns you in information here. <laughs> it, it makes me wonder, like, why does this reality seem so real? Well, it is and it isn't. I mean, right. if probability waves are collapsing, if the consciousness exists in a sea of probability waves, and every time it focuses on something, that becomes real. And again, there are scientists, I'm not talking nut jobs here, I'm talking legitimate scientists who think that may be the case. We know for a fact with the split screen experiment in quantum physics that the observer observing the particle makes it collapse from a non-local state into a local state, from becoming a wave to becoming a particle. Now this is, an, and they've done this experiment countless times. They even did it and set it up to where they changed the outcome. And by changing the outcome, they changed the cause. They changed the initial without even trying. In on quantum physics, time doesn't matter. It's called quantum erasure is the effect. This is pretty incredible, too. It means that time is not linear. And by the way, in physics, especially quantum physics, time doesn't enter into it. An equation works just as well forward to back as it does backwards to forwards. Time does not enter into it in any, in any equation like that. And that's, all, that's called physics' dirty little secret, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, it is. Yeah, they, they they can't account for why that's so. So again, we're dealing with matters of time, space, and if we are like if we are quantum manifestations, then we are um, not restricted to time and space. It's as if. Oh well, let me see. How could I put this? It's as if your soul is hanging out in your brain because it's a great way to interact with other souls. They all have their walkie-talkies. You can talk to all of them, interact with them, see them, whatever. Uh -huh. But you don't have to. And this is also uh, an incredible thing, too, because if it's true, if it's true, if the mind is non-local, when people are in a vegetative state after a bad car accident or something, it doesn't mean that their consciousness has ceased to be. It simply can't get through the receiver anymore because it's too badly damaged. But it's still, and, it's still existing in other places and other probabilities. Or, no, not necessarily. It could be existing there, but it just simply can't get through. Uh, they just did a study where they found that people they thought were in a vegetative state actually did hear things in the room, even while they were supposedly brain dead. And this is another thing. NDEs, near-death experiences, OBEs, out-of-body experiences. Quantum consciousness would explain those as well. The really neat thing about uh, the idea of a quantum consciousness is that it explains all this stuff. It explains the mind being non-local. It means that, that it's also not subject to just this one instant in time. It could explain ghosts. It could explain the fact that people see things from the past, walk down streets as they were 10, 20 years ago, and then suddenly, and, 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 you know, uh, and this has happened repeatedly, like in England on Bold Street. There have been at least four cases where that's happened, where people have walked down the street and suddenly it's 20 years earlier. People are dressed funny, fewer cars on the road, old-fashioned cars. They can't explain for it, and then all of a sudden uh, have, a, have an explanation for it, and then all of a sudden they're back in the present. Things are normal. People are dressed right, lots of cars, a lot of traffic. Bold Street seems to be a weak spot in reality. 
But yes, reality may be a function of the mind. After all, if you think about it, even religion says the same thing. The Hindus, Mm -hmm. everything is but a dream that uh, I guess, I'm not sure which God it was. I think Krishna was laying on a lotus and dreaming a dream and it's us. Um, Edgar Allan Poe said it, is all that we see or uh, seem but a dream within a dream. Um, uh, And uh, even uh, Shakespeare said it in Hamlet, first act. There are more things in heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. (laughs) So these, and and it's true, we're learning more and more and more. But what I've noticed is that with quantum physics developing as it has over the years, and I have witnessed a lot of it and studied a lot of it, researched a lot of it, and other fields of science, that it's almost as if science and religion, and then don't take this the wrong way now, but for centuries they've been split, going in two different directions, diametrically opposed to each other. If you believe in science, you can't believe in God. If you believe in God, you can't believe in science. But now it's as if the two have stretched out, and now they're slowly starting to curve back towards each other. The physics and the metaphysical almost seem to be coming together. And I find that intriguing, and I wonder if this is going to be a pattern that continues. And if you've ever read the book, the that's oh, interesting because that's actually a topic that has come up on his show actually not that long ago about the idea of religion and science kind of coming back together. I had um, two occultists on and they were discussing that, um, you know, about the sorry, two. Did you say two hmm? cultists? Did you say two cultists as in cults? No, occultists, like magicians, sorcerers. Oh, oh, oh. And, and, oh, oh. And they were talking about how how magic, like what they do in rituals and stuff, is sort of like the bringing together of of science and magic, uh, science and and religion and spirituality. Well, I've yet to see real magic that worked, but I have seen incredible manifestations of the human mind. The stigmata are real, whatever the source. They're real, physical things. Uh, there have been some things that I've seen that really are almost un. When, how can one account for them with normal physics? Uh, now we've gotten into this UFO thing. The government has said UFOs are real. They don't know where they're from. They don't think at this point in time that they're extraterrestrial. I disagree because one of their own scientists, when they released the work, said that these things seem to des- defy the laws of physics. And I'm pretty darn certain that neither China nor Russia are that far ahead of us. If they had been, we would have been attacked and defeated long ago. So if it's not our enemies that have this capability, then who's left? Who has this? And these things do seem to defy the laws of physics, gravity, inertia, and a number of other things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've done quite a few shows, too, on the connection of UFO phenomena and human consciousness. Well, some people think that UFOs are a manifestation of the consciousness. I don't agree with that. Uh, They could be. They could be. I'm, I'm not. I don't rule anything out. I have an open mind. Uh, but you know, we all have our preferences, and I'm one of these guys that wants to kick the tires of something to make sure it's real. I just, just seeing it isn't enough. I have to actually touch it and you know, kick it around a little, <laughs> make mm-hmm. sure it's really there. But of course, if all is um, just an. Uh, but you know, when we say that, well, the reality is just an illusion then of the mind. It's no, it's not. The probability waves are real enough. The mind simply may be controlling how they collapse and when they collapse. But just because you're in the water 
and you're splashing about, it doesn't mean you can't control which way the waves, uh, and, or at least when they occur, when you splash about, you can stop splashing or you can choose to splash. Then the waves will, will fan out and they will hit the shore. It may be that this is how it works. Is there a divine consciousness? I don't know. The neurosurgeon thought that maybe we return to a cosmic oneness, a universal oneness. And it could be. In near-death experiences, they often see a white light that they're drawn towards. And it's very peaceful and loving, and they want to join with it. And that could be the universal consciousness. By the way, there's another theory that the universe is not only conscious, but is aware. And they base this idea on the fact that the universe is... Um, consciousness seems to be a product of complexity. The more simple an organism, the less consciousness it seems to have. A rock has none. A worm has very little. Dogs and cats have a good deal more. Humans have more than dogs and cats. So if this is true, the universe is incredibly complex and incredibly huge. Again, it may even be infinite. Uh, but even if it isn't, it's still billions upon billions upon billions of light years across. And it's all interconnected with the Higgs boson field. It's not separate entities floating in nothingness. Space itself is not nothingness. It's full of virtual particles. The Higgs boson field, life from distant stars has hit us and bounced back and is going other places. We are immersed in a sea of energies. So who's to say what's possible and what isn't possible? That's true. We don't know. We have no idea. Uh, some of us kind of... We don't. It, 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 you know, I wonder, like, I don't even know if the human mind is complex enough to have full understanding of it. Um, well, you know, a lot of people say that, uh, and yet we seem to. Yes, granted, we can't really contemplate infinity. Uh, human beings evolved so that we could count by using our fingers and our toes, and that kind of was the limit for a long time. It was one, two, three, four, five, up to ten, and then many. And gradually we decided, well, we could use toes, too. So we got up to 20, and then it was many. So the concept of more than 20 was many. We just didn't have it. Uh, now we do. So our consciousness seems to be expanding and what it's capable of understanding as we evolve. And the marvelous thing about humanity is we don't just evolve physically, but we evolve culturally. We have developed the ability, uh, whereas a mother cat has the instinct to raise its kitten and take care of it, we have the same instincts for our children, but we also have cultural knowledge from years gone by, other times that we've developed over the years we also fall back on, like medicines, proven cures for things, herbs, medicines, whatever. So we've got that going for us as well. Well, there was a time the average human couldn't even contemplate the idea. You know, back at the turn of the 20th century, we thought the universe was our galaxy. That was it. We thought those fuzzy blobs we saw in the distance were just balls of gas in our galaxy. And then we discovered there were other galaxies, and then we discovered there were billions of them, and maybe an infinity of them. We're not sure. So our consciousness and our knowledge keeps growing. Is there an ultimate limit on that? I don't know. But along with computers and quantum computers and AIs, it may be that we become a hybrid species. It may be that these are the last years of the human race as we know it. As, a, as human beings, as we now know them, Homo sapien, may be becoming extinct. The next generation or, or, or two from now might become Homo superior. Hmm. So do you think that humans will merge with technology? Oh, we already have. <laughs> <laughs> Look at anybody in a train, plane, automobile, walking along the road, in their own car, whatever, 
what do they have with them always? A phone. A phone. A cell phone, which is really quite an advanced computer. You do realize the pocket calculator of today had more computing uh, abilities than the um, Apollo 11 mission had. Yes. Believe it or not. So you now have in a pocket calculator the capability of plotting a round trip to the moon and landing and get taking off on both the Earth and the moon in your pocket calculator. And get this, that pocket calculator is just one app on your phone. There are countless apps available, and we're using them all the time. I've never gone to a doctor's office where I don't see people, see people bent over the phones and looking at them, either texting, messaging, or they're looking up something on TikTok or on YouTube or whatever. Quite often they'll have uh, earbuds in. Mm-hmm. And so are we already connected to uh, becoming part with the uh, machinery and uh, computers? Absolutely. It's just not hardwired into us yet. But you deprive someone of their phone, and they will feel incredibly cut off. The millennials and the Z generation, and uh, they are heavily reliant on it. We rely on our phone for directions everywhere. We rely on it for any knowledge we want, to find out about whatever we want to find out. It's, it's just all the time. It's, uh, it's what we deal with. And the minute we're able to plug it into our heads, we're, there are people who are going to do that, and they will be the next human being. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I mean, I don't know if everybody will do it, though. Well, no, not everyone wants to take the vaccine either. <laughs> but look what happened. Who don't? And I don't mean that in a cruel or a rude way. Uh, it's just... Evolution has a way of winning out those who um, don't adapt to survive. And uh, it's it's a shame for the individuals involved because these are real lives that matter. And because they have a difference of opinion, it often spells their death and doom. But unfortunately, the universe is a harsh place. It's not a forgiving place. Quite frankly, uh, the human existence life is, is a really harsh condition. And human being, beings use illusions all the time. We pretend it isn't. It's the only way we can get through it. The human mind would probably go insane if it confronted the total reality of everything all the time. Ever watch a Hallmark movie? I have. <laughs> they are definitely sugar sweet. A lot of people love them, though. A lot of people really like those Hallmark movies because they're always that hot cup of cocoa, the snow outside, a plethora of Christmas decorations, and true romance wins out every time. Not in the real world. Not in the real world. The real world is ugly. Uh, existence and survival are very iffy at best. People fall along the way. I've often wondered how many of my classmates are, are, are dead and gone. While I was in school, while I was in elementary school, I had uh, classmates that died. They didn't make it. Um, this goes on all the time. And the longer you live, the, the fewer of the people you started out with in your generation are alive. And eventually, we all end up sick or old or dead. The so-called golden years are not really golden years at all. No. Now, this is just a fact of life. And some are lucky enough to pass peacefully, and some pass very painfully. Many pass prematurely, what we would consider prematurely. So the universe is not a nice place. Even space isn't nice. There are cosmic ray bursts that have apparently hit the Earth in the past at least once and caused a major extinction uh, asteroids hit the Earth and wipe out countless species, millions of each, without a thought. If one does believe in a God, that's always been a problem for me. How does one see a God who can do that? I personally can't, but each has, person has to make their own decision. 
but it uh, so we live in an illusion we we live in an illusion that yes every day is fine yes there's a chance things go wrong but they probably won't and everything will go on nice and well and we'll have that cup of cocoa and we'll watch that lovely snowfall and we'll build a snowman and we'll have christmas decorations and life is beautiful and uh, of course it isn't but we we create our own reality even within this reality so there you go do you, do you think um that we are you know if we're co-creators of reality for example can we manipulate it to conform to our own will Ah, that's a really good question. Is reality just the result of one consciousness, or is it the result of a collective consciousness? Is it all of our consciousnesses combined that creates reality? Is it like a great big wave sweeping towards the beach that doesn't matter where each molecule of water in it is, that wave is still going to be big and still going to hit the beach? Is that what consciousness is doing with reality? Do we propagate the probability waves? Do we create them to begin with? The Holographic Universe, uh, a book by Michael Talbot, very good book, by the way, New York Times bestseller for six months, a couple decades ago, but uh, excellent book. He said that there is evidence that we might be altering reality that just that way. Um, the Russians had come up with a subatomic particle that they had been looking for a long time at that point in time, back in the 80s. And the rest of the world scientists were pretty skeptical. It was only the one shot deal they didn't feel that was enough evidence so they repeated the experiment 20 30 times they did not get those results they didn't so they didn't think that the russians had found that particle even though they had run the same experiment the same way many times all around the world not just one place then the russians did it again then oddly enough other researchers around the world in various cyclotrons or whatever started finding it too Suddenly, it became established that the particle was real. Another case, when Morse code was first invented, they had to teach people how to use the telegraph machine, so they had to go to a training class where they were taught how to do the um, Morse code. Now, most of us, when we're you know, young and we're in Boy Scouts or whatever I was, you learn Morse code. Mm-hmm. You learn the dots and dashes and the letters for them. But you don't learn them as complete words. Well, to be a telegraph operator, it had to come to you automatically that when you heard a series of different types of dots and dashes, that it meant this word or that word. It was the only way you could keep up with it because the the flow of dots and dashes was incredibly fast. So it was very hard for these people to be trained and learned. But they found that once these people were up and operating within a few years, when other people were training in the class, it didn't take them as long to learn it. It was as if it was easier the learning process had suddenly become easier and easier. And they couldn't account for this either. So, yes, we might be actually manifesting reality, according to the holographic theory. And, of course, the holographic theory claims the universe is a hologram and that we're just projections from a two-dimensional surface or an, uh, an event horizon that surrounds the entire universe. And into the interior of that uh, event horizon is uh, the sphere we're projected, but it's not a perfect reality because you can never have a perfect representation of a, uh, uh, with two-dimensional data into a three-dimensional object. The result will be that it will pixelate on a small scale, that as you look smaller and smaller, things begin to break up. And oddly enough, our universe pixelates beautifully. Mm-hmm. If you look at uh, matter and break it down into smaller and smaller parts, you finally reach the subatomic level. 
and string theory, where matter is really just loops of energy. It's not even really mass. Um, if you look at time, you can break it down to its smallest component, which is a jiffy, jiff or jiffy. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be the smallest unit of time. So time pixelates, matter pixelates. So we could really be living in a holographic universe. And this is interesting, too, because if we live in a holographic universe, in any hologram, the part is in the whole and the whole is in the part. Michael Tal Talbot was making the statement that this would mean that the entire universe is in the crescent of your fingernail and your fingernail is also in the universe. And this is how holograms work. If you take a holographic film and cut it up, each piece has the entire image in it. And you can keep doing this to the point where they're so small that you can't make out the image. But uh, the image of, of uh, that you take with a hologram, the film, is everywhere in that film. It's not local. It's non-local. And here we go with that non-local again. Right. So it's almost like a reflection, possibly. I'm sorry? It's almost like a reflection. No, it's no. not a reflection. Okay? No, because... Um, if you cut the, the film into quarters and just take one piece, you can still project it right. as a complete hologram. So how about like it's fire? Not just like we can take fire and keep lighting candles. That's a, yeah, that, that's a nice analogy, but it's, it's very flawed. <laughs> uh, you can take a fire, and what fire is is an extremely hot source point. It's uh, combustible gases that are quite incandescent because they're so hot. And when you take that and tilt it towards another wick, it, it's hot enough where it will ignite that wick. It doesn't mean that it's a reflection of the fire or anything like that. It's just a chemical reaction that is a chain reaction as long as you keep supplying with fuel. Mm -hmm. The fuel may be the wick in candle or it could be wicks on other candles. But with the holographic universe, that's a different thing entirely. And with holograms, too. If you have a true, I'm not talking about these printed things that you see like on baseball cards and holograms. Those don't work. You have to have real holographic pictures on film. You can take that film and cut it in half and you'll have two complete pictures, each with the same properties, each capable of projecting that same scene. One's not a reflection of the other. They're both originals. You can then take each of those and cut them again. And each of those sections will also have the complete scene and you can reject them again just as thoroughly. The only limitation is the quality of the materials you use and how fine a resolution you can get with it. But other than that, yeah. If the universe is the same way, it does mean that it's non-local. And there we go with non-local again, because you've got this um, universe where you look out and you see it all around you, but really it's just a, a smear on a two-dimensional surface being projected to look like it's out over there and over there. But really it's all in one spot. If you, and that one spot is also everywhere. Again, it's a bit hard to follow, but it's um, it. And and again, now a lot of scientists do believe that the universe might definitely be holographic. And by the way, then we now we move on to simulation theory. Uh, we have this. Uh, I think it was Nick Bostrom who came up with the idea that we might be in a simulation. And he mathematically came to the conclusion there was about a 35% chance that we lived in a simulation because given enough time, our descendants could develop computers so powerful they could run a simulation like this with conscious beings in it. Mm -hmm. If you had a big enough quantum computer or maybe an alien race did it in the far, far future, who knows? 
again, because it's a simulation, it can't have all the data of the original universe in it. Simulations are just that, simulations. So there would be glitches. So then what you look for are glitches. And these glitches, as in the movie The Matrix, could be deja vu. They could be any number of things. You must have seen on YouTube where there are pictures of planes that seem stopped in midair. Mm -hmm. It might be the person viewing it from the wrong viewpoint. But uh, there are also uh, videos of birds in mid-flight, frozen, apparently, their wings are not moving. Now, that isn't because you're viewing it from the wrong angle, and the bird is, uh, you know, in relation to how you're moving, just seems to be standing still. These things aren't flapping their wings. They're just, like, frozen there. Are those glitches in the matrix? Maybe. But um, now one researcher has just come out and said that he believes it's a 100% probability that we live in a matrix in a, in a simulation. And he bases this on the following idea. He says that if you're running a simulation on a computer, no matter how advanced or powerful it might be, or how complex, it still has to have a processing speed. You can't get around that. The basic processing speed of the, of the, of the uh, computer is there, and it is everything around you is maybe fake and not real, but the processing speed is an artifact that will appear in the simulation and cannot be changed. It's inviolate again. You can't alter it in any way. It's there. It's the processing speed. Everything runs on it. There's no way the simulation, someone in the simulation can change that. So would the processing and, speed um, explain why we experience time in a linear way? Well, the processing speed is the speed that the simulation is running at. Now, can you think of any constant in the universe that might be the processing speed of a, of a supercomputer? No. <laughs> Actually, it's right in front of you. It's the uh, speed of light. Oh, light. He says that the speed of light is the one viable artifact in our universe that cannot be changed or altered. And therefore, it is the processing speed of the simulation. And so based on that, and this is a bona fide researcher at a university. He says it's 100% probability we are living in a simulation. Even Elon Musk thinks we're in a simulation to the point where he actually has hired researchers, scientists to try to find a way to get out of it. Now, I know he's a billionaire, but spending money on something like that could be considered nutty and even put him in a mental institution if you were anyone else. You know, if you're rich, you're eccentric. If you're poor, you're crazy. So, uh, but It sounds like is, a good uh, way, though. It would be kind of cool if we could kind of get out of this and see it for what it really is, to be able to step outside and actually find out what it is we're living in. And how, and can a cartoon character step out of a cartoon? I don't know. Can they? Hasn't happened yet. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I saw Mickey Mouse at Disneyland. <laughs> I saw Snow White. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get Mickey. Apparently I was a second-rate guest. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was just um, you. Uh, uh, you just—I don't know. I mean, all these concepts are, are really intriguing. And remember, now it's not me coming up with this stuff. I'm not trying to feed people, you know, a load of stuff. I'm just uh, actually repeating and trying to make it logical. All these different things, and that's what I put in my book. The idea isn't, and it isn't geared so that you have to be a scientist or a researcher. In fact, they probably would find a lot of holes in it and they said, well, you didn't include this thing, or you didn't include that, or you didn't, you didn't 
point out this, or you didn't have the mathematics to back it. That wasn't my point. My point it was a bit like Stephen Hawking's book, A Brief History of Time. The idea was to just get the concepts across to people. And I have a lot of references at the end of the book, and I cite a lot of references in the book where people can actually click on them if they get the Kindle version, and they can go right to that source, and they can read for themselves. The idea is to let them explore on their own. Mm -hmm. My job is just to get them to, you know, as I see it. You know, right. that may not be my job, <laughs> but I, I see it that way. So, but no, I'm not trying to change people's mind. I'm just trying to uh, intrigue them and get them involved in things. Yeah. Because I, there's I mean, so much to this. I, I like one of the things that you mentioned, and one of the things, the reasons I started this podcast was because of an out of body near death experience I had. Um, oh, I, would you care to tell it to me? I'd love to hear it. Sure. Uh, I was like, about a couple of years ago, I had a really bad epileptic seizure at work. And it was so bad. Like, I was out for about a half hour. And dur during that seizure, I was definitely still conscious. And I remember being in sort of like a... It was like a vortex. I mean, it was black, the area that I was in, but around me there was color and, and, and sound. And I was completely aware of it. But at the same time, I was at peace. Like, it was like the most peaceful, beautiful thing I ever... It, it, can't, it, can't, it can't be described. And it was, it was so good that when I came out of it, I was kind of frustrated that I... I had to come back here. And, um, you know, it was just incredible. It was absolutely incredible. It's really tough to describe, but, but I know I was not in my body anymore. And I was still conscious. Now, do you consider that a hallucination or an illusion? What, how do you, how well, do you it, view it? It, it, it was fun. definitely not a hallucination. I mean, I've done my share of LSD and angel dust to know. I like that you admit that. Do you hear that, officer? I finally got him to admit he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I I'm, I'm just from that generation, man. Where I, you know, I, I, you know, me too. Yeah. Was, was doing that yeah. kind of stuff, and this was something completely different. Like I was just never the same again. Well, I tried um, LSD when I was very young, not five or six, but more like in my early twenties, mm -hmm. and I rather enjoyed the experiences and. There were hallucinations, but I knew they were hallucinations. I knew they weren't real. So uh, did you feel that this was real and not a hallucination? I'm, I'm, I'm repeating that because I want to yeah, get it. This was absolutely not. real, yes. It and was, you didn't really want to come back. You felt I at peace. I did not want to come back. You see, that's the vast majority of people who feel uh, have NDEs. They... they, they um, uh, don't want to come back to this day. Totally I, I'm frustrated that I came back sometimes. You know, it almost causes like depression for me. And yeah, well, I can see. And and, and, and also, uh, there's a desire for me to go back there. So so now, like, I will experiment with different types of meditation. That's one of the things that got me into like these binaural type of beats. That's the closest thing that I can get to get me back to that state. You know, it's funny because I've recently started, when I go to bed at night, I turn on YouTube, get a binaural beat going, theta waves, and uh, I blank the screen and I go to sleep with it. Yeah, For the same great. reason, I'm getting into meditation. I uh, 
Uh, you know, and it, I do, I will say it helps me sleep really well. Yes. Uh, I'm, I do have some uh, really vivid dreams sometimes, but um, it does make you, oh, and, and this is something else that's in my book too, the um, idea of dreaming. You are aware that when you dream, you're creating your own space-time. Yeah. I, I, maybe. You know, <laughs> dreams are... Such, oh, no, you are. Dreams are you such are a weird thing. Own, because like, I think there's different types creating, of dreams. Well, there are different types of dreams, but no matter what the dream is, you're creating a space-time inside the confines of your mind. You are uh, in a place. You might even be in the dream itself. You are not only the dreamer of the dream, but you are in the dream, so you're not only the creator of the dream, but you're a character in the dream. And there, are, you know, if you're in a room, there might be real furniture, and you created it all. You actually are, and it's quite real to you when you're in the dream. Dreams are quite real to people. People will wake up and say, "Oh my God, that dream was so real," you know, and it will even affect them. Some people have like a mental hangover from a nightmare uh, or, or a dream, mm-hmm. or they'll want to go back to the dream. Now, we say, oh, well, they're just dreams. Really? It, okay, they are just dreams, but you have created, literally, a space-time inside your mind in which you and other people existed. You populate your dreams with people, things, monsters, whatever, and you have a real place. You might be in the woods running, you might be in a fog, you might be in a room, you might be on a ship, on a plane, whatever, but you have created that in your mind. And it's quite real to you, isn't it? I mean, when you're in the dream, it's not till you wake up that you realize that you're only dreaming. But at the time you're dreaming the dream, and here's another thing too. People have heard the sound of thunder, a crack of thunder. Now, if it enters their dream, they will actually dream about a loud booming noise and a crack. And then they'll wake up. And as they wake up, they're hearing the crack of thunder happen at that instant. Mm-hmm. In your dream, you managed to have a whole dream with that sound in it. And then when you woke up, the sound was still there. And I'm not talking about one of these long rolling peals of thunder. I'm just talking about like a crack that you get with a flash of lightning that's close by. And we can't account for that either. How can you have a uh, time? Not only do you create uh, uh, space in your dream and uh, populate it with things and people and landscapes, but you have your own time flow in that dream as well. It's not the same as ours here in the so-called real world. And of course, Einstein's also proved that time is completely relative. If it exists. If it exists at all, it's not just a, uh, an illusion from the uh, collapsing of probability waves. Right, yeah. So, I mean, it's, yeah. it's either relative or it doesn't exist at all. Well, it's definitely relative. We've proven that scientifically. That well, doesn't mean it actually exists. Well, it or we, it we, manifests. Per- we perceive it and measure it as relative. Well, measurements... All we have to go by is the scientific method. We yeah. know that people in space orbiting the Earth, time has slowed somewhat for them, and it's faster for us down here. And that means that they're slowly traveling into the future. Their heart's beating at a slower rate than ours, and not because they're relaxed, but because they're moving at a slower rate. And the closer you get to the speed of light, we know for a fact that the more it slows down. It slows down to the point where... Um, uh, by our standards, it could almost seem to freeze. If someone falls into a black hole and attains the speed of light, the image of them falling into that black hole on the event horizon seems to exist there forever. For the person involved, time is quite normal. They fell right on through and into the black hole through the event horizon. But for the observer, it's as if they were frozen in time. And another thing, if you orbit a black hole close enough to the event horizon, 
and do it in the right way, you can actually fold time into a loop, and it'll be a loop you never get out of. I don't know Remember the I movie want, Looper? Yeah, I don't know if I want that to happen. <laughs> well, Einstein predicted all that, and it does seem to be true. Yeah. You know, we know that space and time, or space-time, um, bends considerably when it's ever near any gravitational object, like the Earth. That's why astronauts move slower than we do on Earth. Um, but we also know that around a black hole, the situation gets much more severe. If you ever watch the movie Interstellar, it, it shows that to a real advantage. Hmm. But um, he lands on a planet in another solar system, right near orbiting a black hole, and he passes a few hours there and leaves. But on Earth, years, decades, and decades have gone by. But for him, time was happening at a much slower rate than it was for us. And uh, um, another thing, when he landed on the planet, he found the remains of a, the, the former spaceship that tried to get there in ruins in the water. And he thought it had happened decades before, but it hadn't. It happened just hours before they realized, before he left the planet. Because of the time dilation effect, they had uh, lived at a much faster rate outside, away from the black hole, than people who are near the black hole, near mm -hmm. the event horizon. So that's intriguing, too. I mean, um, time is certainly not um, substantial in, in, in any sense. I mean, it's it's all relative. And the speed of light is, too. You cannot break the speed of light. If I'm standing still, the speed of light is 186,000 miles per second. If I'm on a motorcycle traveling at 40 miles an hour, the speed of light is still 186,000 miles a second. It takes that long for light to move in front of me that when I'm seeing objects. If I'm traveling in a rocket ship, even close to the speed of light, the speed of light is still 186,000 miles per second compared to me. It's always relative. How about consciousness? Can consciousness move faster than the speed of light? Well, if consciousness is non-local and quantum in nature, as a lot of researchers now think, then the human consciousness is not restricted by the speed of light. It can be here, there, or anywhere. This may account for remote viewing. It may account for uh, out-of-body experiences. People have out-of-body experiences that they insist are real, where they zoom past the moon into deep space and whatever, and then they end up back in their body again. And if the consciousness is quantum in nature, this is quite probably going to be the case. So you don't, you're not restricted by time and space. So, so Which, again, they, they, a lot. Then it would make sense to use consciousness to travel through space than an actual physical or, or some, you know, a mechanical method. Yes. And some authors have played with that idea to a certain degree. But I have not yet read a book. Doesn't mean it's not out there. But I have not yet read a science fiction book that really goes with that idea. And by the way, that's a brilliant suggestion. I just might write that book. <laughs> <laughs> The first person to ever call me brilliant. <laughs> oh, I call myself brilliant. I'll just say it's my idea. What the heck? Yeah, you, <laughs> you know you cannot. You know you cannot copyright ideas. Mm. I didn't know. Yeah. So uh, you're out of luck, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. <laughs> no, I was. I would give credit to people. But uh, no, it's it's that would be a very. I've, now I've read books where they created um, computers. It was in the near future, and they wanted, but they needed human uh, minds to operate it. So they would 
they would place it in a, in a place and it, they would leave it empty, but on, in the hope that the human consciousness would enter it and take up residency there, and then it would function as an AI, a true AI, true intelligence, rather than just an artificial one. Mm-hmm. But that was the closest I've ever seen to anything like what you just said. But it's a fun idea. It really yeah. is. And by the way, if the human consciousness is non-local in space and time, and we have some evidence for that too, believe it or not. You remember those remote viewing experiments? Some people <laughs> could see things past. Right. And some people could see things <clears throat> in the future or claim to. So, so I, I, I actually I interviewed a guy who was a part of Project Stargate. He was a remote viewer for the government, and he had these hip, like, like almost like a hypnosis type of tapes um, that were made by Bob Monroe for that project. And uh, he actually mailed them to me, and I cop we got copies of them. And have you used them? I have not used them. Um, one of the things with them, the quality is not that good. One of the plans is actually to make remake. A higher quality ones that will be more effective because because uh, these, these know, tapes were, were so old they were cassette tapes um you know i don't, I don't know if the, I, I didn't get any effect out of it i have, tried, I have no I idea tried. what is a, what's a cassette tape? i'm kidding <laughs> yeah yeah it was like the square thing it's with two holes in it that right? spin <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now, there was a, um, a guy who had did a series of CDs uh, that were for quantum jumping. They were self-hypnosis to, so that you could quantum jump, like I was telling you earlier, to other versions of your own mind. And I did download those, and I did play them. I didn't find that they did anything for me, but who knows, you know. So yeah. you get a lot of charlatans out there, too, people always selling snake oil. So. Yeah. Well, this guy was legit. Not- I, I know he was legit. I had confirmed him. I know other people that knew him. You know, he sent the tape. Oh, no, I'm not saying he him. was. But this this quantum jumping uh, recordings that I got. I, oh, yeah. Or, it could just be thinking than selling hypnosis yeah. stuff. Yeah. Hypnosis is incredibly tricky. It's the power of suggestion. Oh, and by the way, um, with the quantum immortality idea, if the human quantum consciousness is quantum, then you could very well have reincarnation as well. And we have some fairly good evidence that reincarnation exists. Yes. It's not solid evidence, but it's certainly tantalizing. Uh, there was a case of a young girl in, um, I think it was, um, I want to say Laos or Cambodia, but I'm not sure. Uh, it might even have been uh, Burma. But she was um, born well after World War II. But in, during World War II, Japanese occupied her village. And one of them was a Japanese soldier who was the, the squadron's cook or chef. And he was shot. Uh, he was strafed by an airplane and shot in the groin. And then this young girl was born uh, five years after the war ended. And as she started growing up, she had a deathly fear of airplanes. Whenever they flew overhead, she would hide. And then she started saying that they shot her, you know, in the groin. And she started saying that, she did not like the uh, Burmese hot, spicy food. She didn't like this. She didn't like that. That they weren't like what she was used to at home. And so the uh, parents became intrigued and they started researching it. <clears throat> and they found that there actually was a Japanese cook during World War II in the village and that uh, he was shot and killed when the plane strafed him in the groin. 
And she wanted to go home. She named people that she wanted to be with, go back to, his family. And those people actually existed. Now, how this young girl in a remote village could know this, they don't know. Is it hard scientific evidence? No. Is it intriguing and tantalizing? Absolutely. And she's not alone. There are lots of stories like this. Children seem to be much more prone to remembering these things than adults. They seem to lose it around the age of five. Five or seven is when it mm-hmm. seems to want to go away. And, and they can have them when they're quite young, <clears throat> as young as 18 months old or younger, as soon as they can talk. There was one case where a father was changing the diaper of his baby here in America, and the baby said, uh, uh, 18-month-old baby said, I used to do this for you when you were a baby. And he started remembering things and uh, uh, and telling them. And it turned out, he even said that um, my sister is uh, is a fish. And it turned out that the person that he remembered was his grandfather or the man's father. And that the sister had been killed by criminals and her body thrown into the sea. Now, how a little child of 18 months to two years old could to know this stuff is rather incomprehensible. So if the mind is quantum and consciousness doesn't extinguish and goes on, there's no reason why it couldn't reincarnate. And by the way, if it is non-local in time and space, it doesn't have to reincarnate in a linear fashion because time means nothing. One life might be in the future, the next one might be in the past, and the next one might be in the now. So you might be remembering a past life that's actually in the future. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might not be in any particular order. They're all happening at one time. Right, because the human consciousness is not restricted by time because it's not substantial. The human consciousness we know is not matter. We know that for a fact. The brain is, the consciousness is not. Yet it can affect matter, and that's what we don't know. If you think of the brain as a movie projector and the mind is the image on the screen that's being projected, Never is it possible for the image on the screen to change the behavior or the makeup of the projector. It can't do it. And yet the human mind can. It can alter the brain. And it can change how the body heals itself and how well it heals itself. You have heard of the placebo effect, right? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. The human mind, if it believes something is real, now here we get with that idea of consciousness creating reality, if it believes something is real enough, it can actually, uh, if you're given a medication that's just a sugar pill and it believes it's the real medicine, the body will respond and get better and respond to the medication as if it were real. Yeah, I believe mean, I, not I know. heard something like the percentage for the, of the placebo effect is like really high. It's like 25%. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty telling, really. It's, it's uh, pretty incredible. Actually, I, the figure I heard was more like 39%. <laughs> Uh, depending on the case, but under controlled conditions. But yes, it um, it does seem to have a genuine, just like stigmata. How does the body manifest stigmata? How can a mind, which is like a projection on a screen, alter the projector? That'd be like human beings changing God. The projector creates the image, and the image somehow can then change the projector? So if you were to believe in God, and you applied that analogy to that, it would be God created humans, but humans can then alter God. And we, we, most of us would say, especially religious people, that's impossible. God is God. Well, the same with the projector and the screen. The screen is a screen, and the projector is the projector. How is the mind capable of doing that? 
This is incredible stuff, really. It sure is. It makes my <laughs> earth it makes all my earthly problems and worries seem so insignificant and small. I was going to say either you're lost in wonder and and uh, thinking or you're bored stiff. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's just it, it it blows my mind whenever I think about this stuff. You know, it's like I just wanted to, I want to know the truth of what I am experiencing. Like I want to know what this is, why I'm alive, why I'm conscious, and I want to know the source behind it. Same here. People say, well, why do you do all this stuff, Rob? Why do you research all this? Why do you write all these books? And I go, my answer is always the same, because I want to know. I have this overwhelming need to know. I want to know. So I'm absorbing information all the time. I'm delving into all sorts of scientific fields. I've got a degree in it, and I keep on pushing to learn more. I want answers. Now, will I get them all before I die? Nah. <laughs> but... Uh, I've learned a lot more than I used to know. I learned and know more than my parents knew and their parents knew. So we're getting closer and closer, and it's an incremental thing. And who knows, maybe when you die, if, the, if you do have a quantum consciousness, you have immortality. And you may either have lived before, lived alternate lives, or maybe you've gone with that cosmic oneness. We don't know. People ask me, well, are you an atheist? I said, no. Well, are you religious? And I said, no. Well, what do you believe? I said, I'm in the middle. I'm an agnostic. There is no proof for me that there actually exists a God, but there's no proof that he doesn't exist either. And that's how I feel about all of this. I don't have the answers, but I'm closer to the answers than my parents were, my grandparents or my ancestors. Hmm. And we have a better idea of how reality works now. And what we're finding out is reality is not solid at all. Right. I mean, no matter how you look at it, you, I mean, it, on the quantum level, everything is made up of subatomic particles, which in themselves, again, are loops of energy, according to string theory. So nothing is really matter at all. It's more like condensed energy, frozen energy yeah. that simulates matter. Well, that's something that's driven me say, crazy since I was a kid. You kind of mentioned like about my parents, you know, my mom was like ridiculously smart, so smart that she worked for Einstein. Well, your mom, mother was an exception. She was. My mom used to split atoms at Princeton University. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. And do you think you've learned more than your mother has? I don't think so. She, she was really, really smart. You know, I, I, I don't know how she... There's different kinds of... She was just you know, born there's, there's that people, way. Well, yeah, and, and, and that's another thing. Why are some people born with great intellects and other people are not. But but I, I think and, it was that experience though as a kid, knowing that nothing was solid, that, that has, has just, you know, driven me to this point of, you know, that's why I don't, you know, it's one of those things, like the, the out-of-body experience, of knowing that things are not solid, uh, and just, just this weird thing of like, like well, well, what the hell is this? Well, th that's one side of it. The other side is, and I've used this analogy before. I always wondered if a ghost could walk through another ghost. Can they walk through each other? They can walk through walls, that sort of thing, but can they walk through each other? They're both ghosts. And the answer would seem to be no, because we're ghosts and all these solid objects around us are ghosts as well. They are 99.9999999% vacuum. 
And what little supposed mass there is to them is actually loop strings of energy and nothing mm -hmm. more. So, but you can't put your hand to a desk, even though your hand is as close to a vacuum as is conceivable, and so is the desk. But the reason is there's the re repelling force, the nuclear force, and that's what keeps your hand from passing through it. So can a ghost walk through another ghost? Probably not. That makes but sense. But in a sense, we're all ghosts. Everything in the world is, is ghost-like. Now, there's one final theory, and that is that the universe is not only conscious, it is self-aware. Again, it's that idea the universe is so complex that it has achieved self-awareness, and we are a manifestation of that self-awareness. Would you call that God? I don't know. But, um, you know, a potato chip is a potato chip, no matter what you want to call it. Whether it's in England, it's a crisp, or we call it a chip. It's still, uh, yeah. a, you know, the same thing. So, uh, but um, it depends on how you look at it. Yeah, I, I can't honestly say. I was raised Catholic, and I enjoyed being raised Catholic. It was a very comforting, secure feeling. Mm -hmm. But I'm no longer religious in, in any sense at all, because I don't think any one religion has come up with the answers. And I find the logic of them rather circuitous. I asked right. a priest one time, I said, well, how do we know this is all true? That, you know, well, you have to have faith. And then I studied Mormonism and a bunch of other religions, and and the crux, I always ask the same question. Well, how do you know this is the true faith? Well, you have to have faith. That's a circular logic, and I, I, that doesn't give me the answers I need. Yeah. I could believe, um, have you heard of the monster spaghetti god? Yes. <laughs> yes. There are people who, who who are belong to that religion. Now, do they believe in a monster spaghetti god? Not really. They're just trying to make a point. Yeah. That you can believe in anything and find reason to believe it so mm -hmm. it doesn't make it and yet religions do seem to have a lot of truths to them yeah. and these truths go back quite a way so i'm not discounting them entirely either uh, i'm really uh, quite open to most things other than um, extremism and um, being adamant about something i find that once you say at some point like when i was a kid People say, well, what religion are you? And I would say, I am Catholic. Well, no, I wasn't Catholic. I believed in Catholicism. It was a faith I adopted and chose to believe in. But whatever you choose to believe in, you can also unchoose to believe in. So, when it, But whenever you say I'm Catholic, then your world just collapses into a box, and you're inside that box, and you can't believe anything outside of that box, whether it's Protestantism, Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever. They're all boxes of a sort. So I try to avoid the box sort of thing because I want to learn things and the way to really learn them and contemplate them. And even there's some really bizarre stuff out there like that um, monster spaghetti god. But um, I want to at least be able to entertain the idea of it, to check into it and try to learn from it. That's kind of how I approach things. Yeah. You know, I think like, like you, I was raised Catholic. Um, however, I practice Buddhism. But far as cosmology of the universe and things go, I tend to lean either towards Hinduism or Kabbalah. So I'm just sort of a well, mix of all these things. Yeah. yeah. Well, again, there's no there is no one's corner of the market on truths. Uh, for instance, um, most religions have the idea of um, the golden rule: do unto others as should have them do unto you. And it's just a good, valid thing to uh, to believe in or, or practice, at least, because it makes sense, it's logical, and it's a good way for humans to interact with other humans. It doesn't matter whether it comes from the Muslims, the Catholics, the Protestants, or whatever. It's just a good rule. But I've always been fascinated by Buddhism and Hinduism to a certain degree. 
a lesser degree because I have a hard time remembering all the gods. <laughs> Although I have to say my favorite god is the uh, elephant god. Mm-hmm. I've always rather liked him. I've always rather liked the fat Buddha, too. I, I always rub the belly of a fat Buddha when I'm walking by one. <laughs> Me, too. And I did go to a monastery when I was in Spain, and they had this giant version of a prayer wheel out in the, in the grounds. Mm-hmm. It's like a huge, like an acre across. And I did all the prayer wheels, went around it in a complete circle, to the consternation and annoyance of the people I was with because they wanted to get on and see the inside of the monastery. And I was like, look, I've never been to this before. I'll never be back. Just let me do it, okay? If you want to go on in, go in. But it was a peaceful thing to do. So a lot of isms have attractive qualities to them, and I find Buddhism is one of them. What I didn't like was the fact that they were highly sexist, the monastery did not allow women in. Hmm. Yeah, some of them. Some some are, you know. Like, in the United States, the the monasteries I've been to, like, like upstate New York and stuff, they weren't. But no, but the uh, the closer you get to the original Buddhist yeah, go, monasteries, like, yeah. the more be that way. You never see a female Buddhist uh, monk, do you? They have Buddhist nuns, but they don't have Buddhist monks. Yeah, and. Uh, one thing I've learned about this world is, again, it's a tough, hard uh, road to hoe. And we all need to be in harness together and pulling together, not apart. And when we try to separate people out and make other people lesser than ourselves, Me, for me personally, that's wrong because we need all the help we can get to get ahead. Life's not easy. If we're going to evolve, if our technology is going to advance, we need to work together, not constantly be tearing each other apart. But that's just me. I'm sure in my next life it would probably be totally different. I might be a fascist. Who knows? <laughs> and that next life is probably happening right now as we're talking. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's another thing, too, you know. <laughs> the reason that your consciousness can't be in a lot of different lives or uh, at the same time. And there's absolutely no reason why you couldn't be existing in someone else's body right now in the same world at the same time. Reincarnation is not linear. You go forward and you go back. Why can't you go sideways? Why not? I could be here living another life in someone else's body. Yeah, exactly. So this whole concept of an afterlife and um, immortality is really in a state of flux. We may be immortal in any number of ways, but it may not be the way we want. What we probably want is to know that we're immortal and we get to go on living forever and we know we're getting to do that rather than having a parallel me born a thousand years in the future in that universe. But it's me, but I don't know it because I'm not aware of it, you know. But um, uh, but even so, the consciousness may continue. But I don't think you'd learn much if you remembered everything from your past life if you were to have another life, because if you did, you'd have all the answers and you'd be able to skate through that life. And I don't think that's what the universe is about. Uh, The universe seems to be a nursery for life, and it's a harsh nursery. If you look at Earth and its ecosphere, it is killed or be killed, eaten or be eaten. Nothing alive on this planet that is animal in nature can exist without eating another animal. And even plants can be that way as well. Uh, I had a minister come by to my house one time, and I was in my garden. He says, you have a beautiful garden. It's almost like paradise. I said, look closer. He goes, what? Uh, I said, look a little closer. I said, you'll find out that there are insects eating the grass, other insects eating those insects, birds and animals eating the 
those insects, and then eating each other. I said, what looks like a paradise is actually a, a vicious jungle. You're just not seeing it. And uh, <laughs> it made him go away. <laughs> but, uh, and by the way, one of the glitches in reality may be the Mandela effect. Yeah, yeah, you know, the old Kit Kat you know, the most thing, too. Is the lion and the lamb of the, of the, of the Bible. And the lion shall lie down with the lamb, right? Mm hmm. The Bible doesn't say that. Huh. I didn't know that. Bible's, the Bible says the wolf will lie down with the lamb, which came as a surprise to me because all my life I've seen pictures of a lion and lamb lying together. You see them everywhere in nursing homes and uh, hospitals, everywhere. Schools, uh, Sunday school, it's always the lamb. I never saw a wolf and a lamb. Go on the internet, just type in lion and lamb images, thousands come up. Uh, uh, so where the heck did we get the lion and the lamb from if it's if the Bible says it's the wolf and the lamb? What the hap heck happened there? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Somebody must have changed the Bible. Well, that's what some ministers believe, and they believe it's Satan that's doing it. I think it's the Mandela effect myself, but they think it's Satan trying to change the Bible and the wording of the Bible to give it different meanings so that people become more corrupt. But again, that's religion. It's always Satan. Yeah. No, I don't think so. I think it's another type of manifestation that, yeah. that reality is not, you know. Reality is so, just sort of a sketchy thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, it's sketchy and it's not sketchy. Try walking through your refrigerator. With the door but, but if I do it enough times, if you had enough time, yes, you could. I will walk get, through, I will that get through that door. <laughs> so, so basically, what we're saying is, reality really is a form of illusion. That what seems real and perfectly solid isn't necessarily so. Mm -hmm. And consciousness might might be the manifestation of real, not your particular consciousness, but consciousness in general. And do remember now, probability waves tend to collapse into the most likely favorable state. doesn't mean that the other states are ruled out, but that's why it's a fuzzy cloud of a proton circling the nucleus. It's because the um, uh, but there, but we can keep it in a form of a sphere, roughly, because we know that the probabilities all exist within that area. And it's the same is probably to a reality that it may be a fuzzy sphere as well, but it's most likely to keep collapsing in a certain way, in a certain pattern, which gives us the continuity of reality as we see it. Absolutely. So, it's continuity, but still sketchy. Yeah, there's continuity, but how continuous is that continuity? I don't know. How do we count for glitches <laughs> in the matrix? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> but Why do people disappear? You there was that one famous case where the guy in England in the 18th century had a bet at a local pub with some of his friends that he could run a certain distance at a certain amount of time, and some good money was put down, and they decided that they didn't trust him not to take a shortcut or something to win the bet. So they got a, a, a cart and horse, and they followed a few feet behind him as he ran the route. Well, he apparently tripped and fell forward, and he gave a loud shout, and then he literally disappeared from view. Mm -hmm. Now, this is a very well-documented case that this happened. There were multiple witnesses, and the police got involved, and no one could find him, and no one ever found him again. He disappeared utterly. 
Where he went, nobody knows. So reality and continuity aren't always that real or that continuous. Never know when I might disappear. <laughs> you sound like you want to. <laughs> Some days I do. <laughs> I think we all have those days. What was it Neil Diamond used to say? Some days are diamonds, some days are stone. Was that Neil Diamond? I'm not sure. I don't Maybe know. I could associate with him because diamond stone thing. But yeah, it's that's that's life again. You know, you can't can't deal with it all. So let me ask you a question. What is your personal um, after hearing all this? What is it you think? Have you managed to synthesize this into some sort of um, constructive um, paradigm for yourself? I am always left with more questions than answers. Um, we all are. I will say that that you know after talking to you and doing about 300 other interviews, I tend to lean towards that the universe is some type of pattern. Um, like, 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 almost, what? Like, like a pattern. Almost like, like what you find in like sacred geometry kind of thing. Mm. Mm. So, so I, 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 you know, because like like you mentioned like at the very beginning of this interview about things repeating, you know you have this, these few parts and eventually you're gonna run out of combinations and the whole thing is gonna to continue to repeat. So it's like this infinite type of pattern that keeps repeating, and within the, and within those patterns there's always gonna be I guess maybe different variations and. In, in repetitions. Um, so basically you're saying variations on a theme kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, uh-huh. Which leads, you to those, or... like, which leads to those like parallel lives. Like like somewhere was a me that made a left and somewhere was a me that made a right. You know, all those different probabilities have happened. But they're all, all those probabilities must exist within some type of predetermined pattern. What that pattern is and where it came from and why it exists, I have no clue. And that's the big question of cosmology. Why does the universe exist? Where did it, excuse me, where did it come from? And um, <clears throat> where is it going? Yeah. But um, here's another thought. If the consciousness is separate from the brain once it's formed, at least, and can go on and is in, uh, non-local in nature of space and time, What's to prevent your consciousness from crossing over into other universes, maybe even particularly strange ones? Well, I think my when I had that experience with the you mean with the LSD or you, with the, with the or epilepsy, the mushroom? with the ep- <laughs> oh yeah yeah I, I think uh, it's when you have something when, when you when you're having one of these attacks, are you aware you're having them? I knew a woman that I worked with in San Diego, and she would have the attacks, and we worked in the same at law firm, and I, I uh, was with her one time, and I held her hand. and said, oh, you know, just relax, calm down, calm down. It was a mild attack, and it passed. And I asked her, I said, are you aware that when you were reading that back to me out loud, that your voice was sounding like you were gargling? And she mm-hmm. says, no, it sounded perfectly normal to me. I didn't know there was anything wrong. So I feel I just like, wondered when you had- I feel it coming on, but I, could, I, I fall out. Like, I completely lose consciousness. I'll fall down, hit my head, that kind of shit, but I won't feel it. And, oh, you have the grand mal seizure. Yeah, and I'll bite my tongue and spew blood all over the place, and everybody freaks out. And it looks like I'm having like this horrible, painful thing. But really, I'm in freaking bliss. 
Now, let me ask you a question. You are on medication, I hope, for this, right? I am. However, how, how, but however, with my circumstances changing, as you know, um, mm-hmm. if I if I end up, you know, in a situation where I can stop taking the medication and not have to worry about driving, I will stop taking the medication so I can have seizures. You like the seizures? I do. I like it that much. What is because it? I think it's something spiritual, man. I think epilepsy is well, almost know, like a spiritual disease. Because Greeks thought it was the disease of the gods. You know, Alexander the Great had epilepsy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I believe yeah. that. I, I, you know, so the, the only reason I take medication yeah, was, is because I don't want to lose my driver's license again. But yeah, I, you got to be able to get around. Yeah, but if I get to a point where I don't have to drive, yeah, I would stop taking it. I would, I would stop taking it and well, sit in front of strobe lights all day and just keep doing <laughs> it over sure and over again. I don't like flashing lights particularly. See, Not I, that they I, do anything to me, but I, I, I find I, a strain on the eye. Because I think that's how I can find out the truth. In By the way, a strobe light is a very good example of probability waves in reality. Ever been at a, a at a club or a disco, they used to call them, and they had the strobe light on, oh, yeah. and it, it flashed on and off, and you could see everything in dazzling array in one instant, and then it went black, and then the next instant, just mm-hmm. an instant later, you saw and it moved slightly. That might be how um, uh, consciousness and probability waves work. That gives you the idea of time. Now, when you're watching that strobe light, you're seeing a flow of motion. It's jerky and it's quick because you're, you're getting gaps in between. And that could very well be what probability waves are in the human consciousness. To us, it seems quite continuous because we're very used to it, but it might be rather like a strobe light effect. It would be the same sort of principle in a way. Just flashing in and out, in and out, in and out. I, li- I like the out, man. <laughs> you want to become one with the cosmic all, do you? Yes, I do. <laughs> that, that would be. I think fantastic. we all would like someone with the cosmic. Unless, of course, it's a giant monster spaghetti god, in which case I'm not so sure I want to be one of his noodles. But you I, know, I like spaghetti. Uh, I don't care. I'm Italian. Oh, are you? I'm part name... German and part Irish. <laughs> My last name is Cacciolillo. <laughs> But I, I do, uh, I do think that it's an interesting concept. And of course, it's it was it's really just a how would you call it a thought experiment to show people why they think religion is false. You can believe anything, and you can find proofs for it if you really want to, no matter how re- ridiculous it might be. I'm not sure I quite agree with all of that, but I do see the validity of it in a lot of cases. Same thing with the satanic uh, temple. I. Um, uh, they're not. They don't worship Satan. It really has nothing to do with Satan. It's just to the name to 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 uh, bring people to attention. Yeah. You know, and and, and to prove drive on points. Like when the, uh, you know, I think it was Alabama. They put up those uh, Ten Commandments in, in the court, and they said, well, if you're going to do that under the law, laws of the Constitution, you have to put up our statue of Beelzebub or Bofed or whatever the heck it was. Mm-hmm. But um, they decided rather than do that, they'd just take down the Ten Commandments instead. So they were just pushing a point to show a legality, and I think that's their main purpose, simply to... Um, Is it part of Alabama you know, show- that I live in, uh, there was a group of Buddhists that tried to build a retreat center, like a little monastery, and uh, they won't allow them to do it. 
because it's not Christian. Who's they? The uh, people who do the zoning laws. That's illegal. They should have taken that to the Supreme Court. Uh, they're, going, they're, they're fighting it. I mean, it might get to the Supreme Court eventually. But I think a lot of people just figured, let's just go somewhere else. You know, if, if a situation gets really bad, my attitude is, I'll just go somewhere else. I, I spent most of my life fighting for the principles I believed in, that I like, that I feel are right, mm-hmm. and whether they are or not, I and but now I'm at the stage of my life where if things hit the fan, <clears throat> I think I would just move back to Australia because I have Australian citizenship as well, and I can also live in New Zealand, which by the way is a bolt hole for all the billionaires in case of Armageddon. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Huh. Oh yes, they're buying up vast states in New Zealand in case the proverbial you know what hits the fan. It's their bolt hole. They they just go there and live. They have these um, bunkers and houses and it's considered one of the safest places on the planet in the event of an apocalypse hmm. there's a there's a couple of others but it's new zealand's like number one and as an australian citizen they have reciprocal rights with new zealand i can live in new zealand without a visa or anything so i'm kind of glad about that too i might need a bolt hole one of these days <laughs> my plan, state, but maybe i could my plan is to, my plan is cozumel you like cozumel i love cozumel yeah, but you're not. That's not one of the safest places by any means. I think it might be safer in the United States right now. Well, unless you get kidnapped by one of the gang members or shot on the street. I have too. a cousin who uh, lived in Mexico, and she liked it very much. But it was a real problem. There was that you do have that fear. Um, you got to consider everything, you know. In New Zealand, they don't have that, so. That's kind of why I'd like to go there. Australia wouldn't be bad, really. It's pretty well cut off from everywhere else. Yeah. You know, unless the Chinese decide to invade for more living space. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's funny. I've, I interview a lot of people from Australia, and uh, they are very, very concerned about what happens in the United States because it. I, I never realized like how... Uh, the United States is so closely aligned with them, and they are with us. So something Australia, it's weird. Like Australia itself is another America. They were a colony of the British. You know, they landed on the east coast. They gradually worked their way to the west. They're approximately landmass-wise the size of the United States, almost exactly, not counting Alaska or Hawaii. So, and they also have a, a fierce, independent spirit. And uh, they love the movie Quigley Down Under for that reason with Tom Selleck. Uh, it just was perfect to them. Uh, they also seem to like – now, if you're in Australia, they'll tease you about being American, but uh, they like America. They, they, But also, because of where they are strategically in the world, they have to rely very heavily on a major power. I mean, Australia's Navy – and I, I love my uh, Australian half my you know, of myself – but their navy is pretty laughable, you know. They only have 25 million people total. That's the equivalent of one state in America, and yet they're the size of the United States. And we have 49 other states with millions and millions of more people. So it is difficult for Australia, which is a very Western, Anglican kind of country, 
in 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 Asia, where everyone around them is uh, has have much bigger populations yeah. and have these threats in the past, like Japan during World War II, and nowadays China is bullying the heck out of Australia or trying to, and Australia is resisting, and so it's leaning more and more towards America. But um, yeah, they're very. It's uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. What always surprise what surprises me is like. They know more about United States politics than I do. And I know absolutely nothing about Australian politics. Zero. Well, you know, Americans are terribly self-absorbed. And I'm an American, too. I was born in Texas, so I can say it. But uh, the average American doesn't know almost anything about any other country. It's like America is the best of all possible worlds and we have the best standard of living. Well, number one, we don't. And number two, I'm not sure we are the best of all possible worlds. We might have been, but I'm beginning to wonder about lately, but uh, the last four years or so. But um, uh, Americans seem to be absolutely. Did you know 49% of high school graduates couldn't place the United States on a world map? I believe it. You know, the average uh, millennial and Z generation, they did spontaneous interviews on the street. You can see it on YouTube. They asked him uh, if they'd heard the Civil War. Yeah. Uh, who won? I don't know. Who fought? I, which? Who was fighting whom? I don't know. They don't even know. And, and then um, I knew a 34-year-old millennial, nice person, very bright. And I asked him to name uh, the countries that were involved in World War II, the major countries, major powers. Couldn't. I said, can you name the enemy, who the enemy was? He couldn't. I said, can you name me one leader? who was in office in any one of those countries, because I named the countries from at the time of World War II. He couldn't even name Hitler. Damn. I was absolutely, I, I was absolutely shocked. The average American has absolutely no idea of anything. They are so localized, it's incredible. And that may be part of our problem. We can't even place our own country on a world map. It's an issue. I, I recently found out that the average American has a seventh grader education. Well, you know, I was a tech writer for years, and I had to write for doctors, lawyers, and engineers. We had uh, reading scales that we had to go by. The Flash Kincaid was one of them. There were others. But um, we had to write at a seventh grade level. For doctors, I had to do a manual for a, a, a machine, a left-right brain scanner for neurosurgeons. I had to write it at the seventh grade level. When I wrote manuals for engineers, I had to write them at the seventh grade level or less. These are college graduates. These are supposedly brilliant minds, and their reading level was tragically low. So if they're reading at a seventh grade level, then the average American is not. Actually, when I write my books, my fiction books, I've been told by more than one editor I have to write at the fifth grade level, sixth grade at the most. And so according to editors, the average American reads at the fifth grade level. So I run a readability score on everything I write to make sure I stay within those parameters because I do tend to want to move up. Mm -hmm. And I've been castigated for it. When I was with my father one time, we had guests, and I used the expression, um, well, gosh, the odds of consent must be astronomically high. And one of the guests there, one of the other people said, uh, what does astronomical mean to his wife? 
And my father overheard and he says, you know, Rob, you, you talk over people's heads. You've got to learn to, to talk so they can understand you better. And I said, so basically I'm supposed to meet people who I don't know, glance over them and judge them and decide what grade level they can understand? I said, isn't that a bit bigoted? Uh, for me to judge people in that fashion? And he really didn't have an answer to that. And I, and then my next question was, and because I went to school and went to college and university, I'm not supposed to use my education or the vocabulary I've developed over those years because I, I don't want to make, you know, I, I was just amazed that I was being literally told to talk down to people. That's That surprised me. It's a bummer, man. Most people. Most people can understand, I think, if given the context. They may not get a certain word, but they certainly can figure out from the context what the person meant. Mm -hmm. I do. I do, too. So, I mean, I give the average person more respect than my father did, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> so, before we wrap this up, where can my listeners find you? Well... The easiest way is just either Google my last name. I'll come up everywhere. Um, or they can um, uh, just go to Amazon, since most people do that. And I usually recommend Amazon. Just type in Shelsky. All my books will come up, including my newest book. Um, and uh, Quantum Immortality, The Hypersoul, and The Afterlife. And all my other books as well. So they can pick and choose whether they want to read about the Mothman, UFOs, time travel, or the afterlife whatever intrigues them. Or I have a lot of science fiction books too with Permuted Press, Simon Schuster, other places. And um, so that's basically it. Or they can catch me at some of my lectures. I'm doing a lecture at the uh, early part of October in Ashboro at the local library there on UFOs. Um, just whatever they want to do. That is awesome. That is fantastic. I just bought your book, by the way. And, and just so my listeners know, it was not a major investment. It was only two ninety nine for the Kindle version. <laughs> yeah, it's not expensive. I keep the prices low. I want people to be able to afford to read. I'm sort of an every person's author. I want people to question and wonder about things. And I want to provide them with enough information where they can start to do that. And uh, so I don't like these. Over now, one of my books, is, I think, is overpriced. It's through Permuted Press, to be honest with you. And uh, I think the price they put on the book is, for a Kindle version, is rather high. Because let's face it, you're not getting anything physical. You're just getting mm -hmm. the consciousness version of the brain <laughs> by <laughs> Kindle. <laughs> I, t I tend to buy Kindle more now because when I move, I hate moving books. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's a problem. But, you know, I find books comforting. Like on a shelf, you know, like I have a, a little library, I call it, yeah. fireplace, some antiques and, my, uh, my, and a case of books. And uh, I find books comforting. They're like friends to me. Yeah. Well, before I moved here, I had given all my books away because I didn't want to move them. And uh, Did you regret it? No. You know why? Because like, I, I, I moved down here. I started this podcast. Now people send me books all the time. I come home. Yeah, and, and, and my mailbox really is full of books. Yeah. <laughs> I'm getting them for free. Yeah. <laughs> you got a big Kindle. You know, the only thing that bothers me about Kindle books is, you know, you Kindle can take them back anytime they want to. And they've done it. 
there was a case where a book came out. They were sued because they weren't supposed to put it on Kindle. And so they just they took it off everyone's uh, Kindle readers. Hmm. Now, they gave them a credit, but the book just vanished from their readers after they'd already purchased it yeah, and had been reading it. Yet. Yeah, well, I'm not saying they do it all the time. And I think there was such an uproar over that Kindle, I mean, uh, Amazon is not going to be very likely to do it too often, if ever, again. But, uh, yeah, they did it. And so that's the problem with something that's insubstantial and under control of any corporation. The corporation giveth, and the corporation can take it away. Yeah. Well, I don't care. I'm not bad-mouthing. As long as I can read the book, I don't care. Yeah, that's true. But a lot of those people hadn't finished reading the book when it disappeared. Well, that's a bummer. So... Yeah, <laughs> that's a bummer. Is right. <laughs> so, but Amazon has to do what they're legal, legally obliged to do. So you can't really fault Amazon either. It's just a, a combination of unfortunate factors, you know. Yeah. But it must have been hard. They lost the books that they wanted to read, you know. And by the way, it didn't come back on there either. The publisher did not want it on on in a Kindle version. This was a few years back, so things have changed since then. Yeah, well, I appreciate the two ninety nine price because I bought it. I'll read it later on tonight. Well, good luck. <laughs> it's not a big book, so you should be able to read it fairly well. I think it's like 109 pages or something. Yes. But I do go over the different of the universe and the different types of consciousness and the uh, possibilities for each. So it'll give you a more in-depth look at it. Awesome. And if you don't like it, I don't want to know. <laughs> However, if you, if you do like it, give me a review on Kindle, will you? It really helps sell the books. I will. Absolutely. All and right. it's got to be a good one, whether you like the book or not. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And, and so what I'll do, too, is I will post a link to the new book in the notes of this episode so my listeners can also purchase it for only two ninety nine. Well, cool. That's I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks for being on, man. Oh, thank you. And it was good talking to you again. And I hope things go well for you. Yeah, it's good talking to you, too. I always enjoy talking to you. You're a good guy. I know you. <laughs> and I think we have the same kind of sense of humor. <laughs> yeah, we do. <laughs> you have a good night. All right. Just hang on for one second. I have to play the outro. Okay. Here it goes. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. T-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon, and it will change your life. Remember, everything that it says was first imagined. If you loved what you listened to today, 
everything you made.